0: Jesus has made it clear to his disciples in our gospel life series, there's no sense to waste your spiritual life. How many of us want to look back and be like, I cannot believe I didn't live my life like Jesus? How many of us want to look back and say, I led no people to the Lord? It would be like receiving a brand new Tesla which I could care less about. Now a Mustang would be so much better for me. Have you seen the 20 to, to, My first car is a 1965 convertible Mustang. I switched the, I remodeled the whole thing, rebuilt the engine with my dad like I you could, that was when you could step inside the 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 trunk I'm uh, not the trunk, the hood <laughs> Obviously, I'm not a mechanic, okay? I know the difference between a hood and a trunk, but that's when you could step inside the engine well and fix everything inside, right? So it was an easy engine to work on, but it would be like me receiving a brand new Mustang, Ford Mustang, and choosing never to drive it, just looking at it. I don't want to mess it up. Like, I mean, if I get behind the wheel of this thing, I don't know if I, don't know if I should. And, and what Jesus is saying, why become a Christian? unless you do Christian things. And he said, the Christian thing is, surrender your life for my sake. In other words, learn my life, my way, my truth, and my life, and live it. But he also said, surrender your life for the gospel's sake. In other words, we have a responsibility. Don't waste your life. Tell the people the good news of Jesus Christ. The apostle Paul believed these words. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a statement we should all live by, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He pronounces a woe on himself unless the gospel came out of him. But the problem was, if you remember, the church lost its fervor for preaching the gospel. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? People stopped spreading the gospel. Can you believe that? <laughs> and in Revelation chapter 2, we learned they had labored well for Christ's name's sake, but they left their first love. They were not surrendering their lives for the gospel's sake. Their lack of a love relationship with Jesus impacted them spreading the gospel because out of the heart speaks the mouth. And their lack of love relationship silenced the gospel from coming out of their mouths. Well, this challenge, believe it or not, Calvary South Bay, stretches across 2,000 years of church history because he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says even to Calvary Chapel, South Bay. You see, we're the body of Christ. And Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he stood up and he said, I'm anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. And then he said, mic drop, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. We're the body of Christ. The anointing is placed on us. What are we doing with the anointing for the gospel's sake? Let's take a look at a man who had an anointing and what he did with it. Exodus chapter three, verse one. Now Moses, oh, one of my favorite heroes in the Bible. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, a shepherd. The priest of Midian... And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. Now, if I was putting all the numbers of the verses, I need to let you know, chapters and verse numbers are not inspired. And this is a classic one where I would not have broken this into one and two. Because the beginning of two is really the end of one. What the writer, what Moses is letting you let us know is that the angel of the Lord, he's giving us the whole story right here, that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of the bush. It wasn't the bush that was talking. The bush got his attention, and the Lord spoke to Moses. Now Moses, he's in Midian, and let me tell you why. He's a freddy cat. He ran away from his calling. You see, Moses, long before this event, 40 years before, he wanted to deliver Israel as the prince of Egypt, but he went about it the wrong way. An Egyptian man was beating a Hebrew man, so he murdered the Hebrew man. He was angry, and he thought that anger was the way to deliver. But the Bible says we're to be angry and not sin. Let me tell you something that I'm angry about. I'm angry that here in L.A. County that a gang member gets shot and killed almost on a nightly basis. That makes me angry. So angry that before this service, I had a meeting with a small group of people on how we are going to rescue gangsters in LA County. You see, our anger does not cause us to sin. Our anger causes us to change something. I was so angry in Liberia that children were being used in a war, that I did something about it, and my wife and I had the privilege to rescue 1,500 boys and girls from dying at the hands of warlords. Church, we're to be angry and not to sin. There's a righteous indignation that Jesus, so angry at sin, he died on a cross. Now we know Moses was afraid he cat. Look over at uh, Exodus chapter two, verse 14. Then he said to the Hebrew, says to Moses, who made you a prince and judge over us? So they found out that, that Moses had killed the Egyptian. Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared. He feared. He was afraid. So God now shows up to speak to him. Take a look now at Exodus chapter 3. We'll pick it up there in verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of the bush. Now the story. So he looked. Behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great thing, why the bush does not burn. Now, um, I love how Moses writes us in here, oh, look, there's a burning bush. I will now turn aside and see this great thing. If you saw a burning bush, how many of you would say, I will now turn aside and see this great thing? I mean, this was an amazing sight and the Hebrews not doing a good, the English is not doing a good job of the Hebrew. Moses is going, whoa, (laughs) what is going on here? There is a burning bush, but the bush is not burning. Of course, Moses turned aside to see this great thing. Now, what's amazing is you need to know, once again, the English is not doing a great job for us. The term for bush is a thorny bush, a thorny bush that's common to this area of the Sinai region. You see, the thorny bush was on fire, but the thorny bush was not consumed. Now, we'll do well to remember that thorns are, are a result of the fall. We didn't have thorns. We didn't have mosquitoes. I'm convinced we did not have mosquitoes. You know what's amazing about mosquitoes? They know my name. Chet. They just, chet. Literally, they know my name. At least I'm convinced of it, okay? And they're demonic, okay? Mosquitoes are from the devil, Okay, that's why we moved to California. There's very few mosquitoes here that call out my name. Now, what's amazing to me is that God can take a common bush affected by the fall, ignite it with the holy fire of God, and use it for his glory. Did you hear that? God can take a common thorny bush that's affected by the fall, ignite it with the holy fire of God and use it for his glory. God was giving Moses a visual of what God was about to do with the sinful Moses. A sinful man. Moses, once I come upon you, watch, you give me glory. He was seeing a visual of what God can do with a man that surrenders to the power of God and what God can do with each one of us. And let me tell you, like Moses said, it's a great thing to see God work through someone who delivers others. It's a great thing. Verse four. So the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. God got his attention. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. This is God speaking. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. Let's call this Moses's salvation experience. This is his first time in contact with God. This is his moment where he gets up out of his seat and he walks forward and he's in tears and he's having a first time contact with the living God. Please do not put years of following God on Moses. Please don't do that. Because sometimes we look backwards and we think that Moses was following God all of his life. It was here at this moment that Moses has a contact with God. God gets his attention. Moses, he's just out doing his job. He's a shepherd, he's got his cane in his hand. And God was using his job to get his attention. But Moses, he wasn't doing what he was anointed to do. Oh, he was doing his job. He was respecting his father-in-law. He was a shepherd. He was faithful doing. In fact, we're going to learn later that he goes to Jethro to get his permission. He was a submissive guy. He was a good guy. He was doing his work, working 40 hours a week. He had a wife and children, but he wasn't even raising his children in the Lord. It was Zipporah that ended up circumcising the children, not Moses. But Moses was a good guy, just doing his job, but he wasn't doing what he was anointed to do. So God got his attention. Take a look at verse 7. So the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, can we just recognize right now that I said all of those and it just flowed right out? Like You don't know what a miracle that was. That was a movement of God out of my mouth. And I'm amazed that God just did that. Look at verse 9. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Do you hear the words? Oppression. Cries. Cries. Sorrow. That's the current state of the unsaved that live in LA County. They are under the oppression of the enemy, they are crying out to feel fulfilled, they are living in sorrow without God. This is God's perspective of the lost. He hears their cry. This is God's perspective of those who are oppressed. This is why Jesus said, I'm anointed to preach the gospel and to set captives free. I hear their cry. I see their sorrow. I sense their oppression. And what I love about God is he calls them, look carefully, my people. Let me tell you why. He knows those who belong to him. He's the all-knowing God. Do you know Ephesians says to us that we were chosen before the foundation of the world? Do you know that Peter would write in 1 Peter 1, verse 2, that we are elect According to the foreknowledge of God. Because God is all-knowing. He knows his people. So take a look at verse 8. So because I know that there are people that are oppressed, I have come down. Now at this point, we have got to be getting the picture of the gospel. For God came down. Jesus Christ came leaving all of heaven to come to earth. God says, I have come down. Let me tell you why. Because God wants to proclaim liberty to captives. He wants to proclaim liberty to those who are oppressed. That's what we studied last week. So we said, so I've come down. And then look at verse 10. I've come down, and I want to do a work. So, Moses, I'm sending you. Let me tell you why. God uses people to bring deliverance to other people. Moses was delivered. His mother delivered him through the basket. And Moses got his name because Pharaoh's daughter picked him up out of the water and delivered him. Moses was delivered. You see, God did not give the gospel to Cornelius, He sent Peter. God did not come down and give the gospel to Caesar. He sent Paul. In Acts chapter 23, verse 11, take a look, if you would, at the scripture. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, be a good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. And when Paul was unjustly held in Caesarea for two years, finally he appealed to the government as a Roman citizen and he said, I want a ticket to Rome. I appeal to Caesar. He used the government and their funds to get to Rome. Hmm. I'll never forget calling my pastor, and the UN wanted to give me money to do the work of the ministry because we were the only project in Liberia that was working. Now, when I first presented the project to the UN, their response was, We're appalled that you think Jesus Christ can change people's lives. That was their quote. Six months later, they called begging, You're the only program that's working. And I said, are you still appalled that Jesus Christ can change people's lives? So they wanted to give us a lot of money so that we could continue to do the work. So I called my pastor and I said, can I take money from the UN to do God's work? His response, Paul took money from the Roman government to have a mission trip all the way to Caesar. Feel free to redeem whatever it is that God wants to give you. Amen? So I took the money and ran. So I got to tell you the story. No, I can't. We got to you going. Okay. So one day the UN gave me like a bunch of money. Like I was a poor, I mean, I called my pet missions pastor because I wanted to buy a Kit Kat and I didn't know if you could use support money to buy a Kit Kat. So I literally called my missions pastor and I said, listen, it's 50 cents. Can I use it to buy a Kit Kat? I don't know. Like KitKats had just come to town. He's like, of course you can use your support money to buy a Kit Kat." So I just need you to know that was my mentality. So the UN gave me a check. So you know what I did? I went and I cashed it. I threw the money on the bed and I just rolled around. <laughs> and I was like, this is so not satisfying. Like I feel dirty doing this. So then I realized like I could care less about money and money has always just flowed as I do for the work for the kingdom. So I'm very grateful for God and what he does. So there's a personal insight into 23-year-old Chet. Keep that in mind. 23-year-old Chet. All right. uh, Let's go. (laughs) I can't believe I told that story. All right, here we go. So God's got a heart to deliver people. Take a look at Moses. Look at his heart, verse 11. But Moses said to God, he's talking to God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? He comes off with this false humility and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. You are anointed to deliver. You've been delivered. Now you've got to make a decision Are you going to be like Moses. Because what Moses does is he poses five questions to get to God to get out of the anointing. He poses five questions to God to get out of the anointing. And these questions, you need to understand Judaism. Jews ask questions to make a statement. Do you think you look good? Do you hear the statement? You look horrible. Okay? You have to understand, when Jesus would pose a question he was giving a statement. That's just the way of Judaism. So we've got to evaluate ourselves as we take a look at this question. This first question, here's what he says. Who am I to go? But the statement is, I can't do this. I can't deliver people. I mean, that's, it's not my gift. I can't do it. And God responds. Look at verse 12. So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you and that I, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you're going to serve God on this mountain. You're going to worship God on this mountain. He's at the base of Sinai. And he's telling him in just a few short years, you're going to see me work and you're going to bring five million people to the base of this mountain. And then you're going to know I am with you. Now, let me tell you something. Paul believed it. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, God knows the future. He knows the people that are going to be saved to worship him. He knows who they are. That's why John would write, and I saw every tribe, tongue, and nation. God knows those who will worship him. And can I tell you, there are people yet to be saved to worship the Lord. He knows who they are. So guess what? So I send. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you have to understand something. When Jesus said, As the Father sent me, so I send. Us, include me, okay? Don't exclude me. I'd like to be a part of this. That's a truth for all of us to live. Moses goes, who am I? I can't do this. Are you saying God's a liar? Moses? He's asking you to do something, you tell him you, you can't? Let's look at the next one, verse 13. This is, the good, this is a good one. Moses is a smart guy. Take a look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, okay, that was good, God. Thank you very much. I'm glad you're with me. When I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? Here's what Moses is saying What's his name? Um, I just met you, I just got saved. I don't know you that well. What could I say about you? I'm not not my, the, my theology isn't all correct. I've got no idea who you are. I'm just meeting you. It's like the whole burning bush thing. Do you want me to just tell people a burning bush spoke to me? I mean, I don't really know you that well. It's a great argument, isn't it? We use it all the time. I don't know the Bible like Pastor Chet does. So Pastor Chet, come over. Can you give the gospel? That's why God boils the gospel down to one verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, three. Christ crucified, raised again. That's the good news. It's easy enough for all of us to remember. And look how God responds to him. Look how God responds to him. You see, what he says is, I don't know my theology. Um, You and I are just connecting. But do you remember the guy in John's chapter nine? He was the best evangelist. He had just come in contact with Jesus. And what did he say? All I know is once I was blind, but now I see. Jesus changed my life. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Verse 14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now look at Moses' question. He says, who will I say you are? He says, I'm the all-sufficient one. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, in other words, he kept going. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Come back, come back. I know you want to keep going. Stay with me. You want to know the answer to that question? I am. I am sent you, the all-sufficient one. Because Moses, it's not what you know and what you don't know. It's who you know and who has sent you. And I want the whole world for all of time to know that when I send someone, it's not what you know. It's who you know. That's what he says to him. I want everyone everywhere for all generations to hear the answer to this question. I don't care what you know. When I send you and I anoint you to deliver people, go do it. Go do it. So look what he says to him. Look, look what he says to him. Uh, he says, listen, um, you know me, the all-sufficient one. And God, I'm going to do a powerful thing because of who I am. Not because of what you know, Moses. This can do nothing with who you are because then you receive the glory. Moses, if you were smart enough to figure out how to win the world and save the Jews and deliver them out of there, then you would get the glory. But you've got no idea. And I'm going to lead you each step of the way so that everyone will look at you and go, well, it ain't Moses. It's got to be someone else. It's yeah, right. God receives the glory. Look at verse 16. Go. Circle that word if you would. Go, he says, And gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice. Look how much God knows. And you shall come, and you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, God is like doing the whole playbook right here, like he's watching a movie. The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please, let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand, so... I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. It's like Moses is watching a movie, God knows so much. And I will give this people favor. I've circled that in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. I love this, okay? Every woman shall ask for jewelry. Surprise. (laughs) So they're leaving Egypt and all the women are concerned about is, can I have that earring? That is, I've always liked that earring. Can I take that with me? I love this. Okay. God is giving a playbook to Moses. Moses, you think your knowledge is going to get you to be able to deliver? No, no, no. You know the God who knows every detail. I know where the children children of Israel are at and I know where you're at. I know where I want to take you, and I want to take you to a promised land. I want to take you to an abundant life. That's God's plan for every human being on the face of this planet. He wants to take them to a promised land. God knows what to tell you to say. He does it like a playbook. He even knows there's going to be opposition. And he even knows how to handle opposition because he's the all-powerful God. He knows his people will even get jewelry, favor, or his grace as they're walking out of Egypt. Now, if you're Moses and God's going, let me tell you what's going to happen. This is 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 going to happen. You would think Moses would go, wow, (laughs) you are the great I am. I'm ready. You would think that he would go, okay. In chapter 3, verse 16, the word go. Don't give Moses such a hard time. Let me give you a word from scripture. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. We have six mission trips coming up. I'm expecting a waiting list. Amen? Yeah. Amen means I agree. You don't even know where the mission trips are. It could be Libya. Remember, I'm your pastor. You would think that Moses would giddy up and go. But take a look at chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, But, got another question for you. Suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. What if they don't believe me, God? This is why we don't share the gospel the fear of rejection. Rejection's hard. It's what keeps most of us from doing what God has called us to do. I want my friends to like me. I don't want them to reject me and think I'm some kind of Jesus freak. You see, God's about to reveal that the issue is not them believing. It's Moses. And he gives Moses three signs to prove it. Take a look at the first. And this is how God responds. So the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? He said, a rod. So he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. Moses fled from it. Anyone surprised? (laughs) Mr. Freddy cat. (laughs) Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Excuse me. He reached out his hand and caught it and it became a rod in his hand that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. He shows them a sign. Cast your rod down. Let me tell you what God is telling him. Get rid of the thing that you are holding on to for not doing what I'm calling you to do. Cast it down. God has called us to preach the gospel in our neighbors, at work, out in the water when we're surfing, with everyone that's around us, he has said, go and preach the gospel. And he tells Moses, cast the rod down. Are you amazed? The rod turned into a serpent. Nasty, venomous, little slithering guy. I'll never forget, I hate snakes. Like, I cringe even thinking about them. And the only wild animal in Liberia are deadly, poisonous snakes. Like, there's no elephants and rhinos and giraffes. It's just snakes everywhere. And I'll never forget, we were on a river, four hours on a canoe, a little log dugout canoe, and we were going underneath these um, trees. And I looked up in the tree, the Liberians were pointing up at the tree, and there was a cobra that had just eaten So he was dead sleep, and his head was hanging out like this. So he was asleep. And you could see whatever it ate inside of him on the tree. So poor little guy is, like, gone, right? So the Liberians are like, oh, we're going to throw a rock at it. (laughs) Have you ever heard the saying, let dead dogs lie? Like, let sleeping snakes lie. Like, just leave them alone. They're all excited. They're going to hit it in the head with the paddle and the hold. And I'm like leave the snake alone. Now they see I'm afraid. Okay? Now they see I'm afraid. So now they're like, ooh, cobra, ooh, like doing this whole deal. I'm literally terrified. I'm terrified. So this is what I do. The canoe is about this big, okay? I'm in the canoe and I know they can't swim. So I go, go ahead, wake the cobra. And I said, I'm one person. There's two of you. I'll only be able to save one. Go ahead, wake him up. (laughs) And I'm in the canoe going, rock the boat, don't tip the boat over. Rock the boat, don't tip the boat over. (laughs) Guess what we did? We just politely and quietly went right under that snake. Goodbye, little cobra. (laughs) I hate snakes. I hate snakes. But it's amazing to me that the thing that Moses was holding on to was actually a tool of the enemy. But I'm a shepherd. I can't give the gospel. I might lose my job. I mean, I don't know what Jethro will think. But I'm afraid. Like, I don't know if I can give the gospel. and I've got a family, and I'm afraid of my family. And they've told me, we can't talk about religion. I don't know what you're holding on to. But the very thing that Moses was holding on to it actually became a snake. And Moses ran from it. He was afraid. And none of us are surprised because what God was doing was exposing Moses. It's not that they won't believe. You're afraid to go. You're afraid. He was afraid of the Hebrews. And that's why he ran to Midian. And now he's afraid to go back to the Hebrews because he's terrified for his own life. He doesn't know if they're going to kill him or not. Fear is Moses' spiritual struggle. And the only way to fight fear is with faith. So God says to Moses, grab that slimy little snake by the tail. If God had to give me the direction to grab that cobra by the tail... Whoa! I am shocked that Moses did it. He was terrified. He ran from that snake. But when God told him to do it, he did it by faith. Amen. And you know the amazing thing about that snake? It went right back to a rod. There was actually nothing to ever be afraid of. How many of you growing up were afraid of the monster in the closet? Some of us have created telling the gospel as the proverbial monster in the closet. I'll lose everything. I can't tell the gospel. I don't know what I'm going to do. And what we have to do is do it anyway. Tackle the fear with faith at the direction of God's word and do the work of an evangelist. God has the power to deliver us from that fear. Amen. For Moses, it was fear. But what is it that keeps you from fulfilling what God has asked you to do? Take a look at verse 6. Take a look at the next sign. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. Okay, so let me just do this. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, ah, leprosy, like snow. And leprosy was deadly. And then he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, surprise, it's restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. Stop there if you would. Put your right hand in. Take your right hand out. Leprosy all about. Sorry, I had to do it. You know what God does? God gives Moses a personal testimony. Leprosy was deadly. And God supernaturally saved Moses' life. I was dying of leprosy and now I'm saved. Leprosy in the Bible has always been a symbol of the destructive power of sin. Leviticus outlines it in full. It details how it begins smart, very small, and then it grows. It's always deeper than skin level. So when someone comes to me and confesses something, I know what they've confessed, it goes deeper still. And so I always dig a little bit deeper. And I know when someone has left the church separated from the flock, something's going on. I need to reach out. I need to discover what's happening. It's exactly what Leviticus says. Sin, leprosy would separate you outside of the camp. You were no longer allowed to be a part. And this leprosy would eventually lead to death. And what the person had to do, if they broke out in leprosy, they would go to the priest. The priest would inspect it, wouldn't heal it would simply inspect it because the people believed that only God could heal leprosy. Go with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. Matthew chapter 8. We'll pick it up there in verse 1. When he'd come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Verse 2. Behold... A leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, I wish verse 3 would have some parentheses to tell us what the disciples were thinking and what they looked like when Jesus put out his hand and touched him. I can just hear Peter now. No, 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 no. Touch the leper. You're pure, you're holy. ah. Because holy people had the right to throw rocks at lepers to let them know, stay a distance away from me. But Jesus, the Son of God, reaches out and touches and says, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show your, let the priest inspect you, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Go tell the priest, and the priest would know, Jesus is God, because only God can heal leprosy. This man's an outcast. He's an outcast because of leprosy. And our sin bans us from the presence of God. Look at this, it's Revelation 21, 27. Revelation 21, 27, the Bible says this. Revelation 21, 27, but there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, only those who have been made righteous by Jesus because no unholiness can be in the presence of God. But while sin, leprosy, has defiled us, through Christ, we can be healed. And those who have been touched by Jesus, each and every one of us, can now stand in the presence of God just like this leper stood in the presence of Jesus. And let me tell you what this story in Matthew 8 reveals. This story in Matthew 8 reveals the leper was the most deadliest form of disease of its time. And this leper reveals, no matter the extent of your sin, we can all approach God and request to be cleansed. You guys, this is good news. How can you hold this to ourselves? God has the power to deliver us from sin. Moses, I delivered you. Why would you not want to deliver others, Moses. Look at the next sign. Go back with me to Exodus chapter 3, and here's where we begin to close up. Exodus chapter 3, look at chapter 4, verse 9. And it shall be, if they do not believe even those two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Hey, Moses, i got one more sign for you. When you get to Egypt, because I know you're going, I know the future, so I know you're going to go. So when you get to Egypt, I want you to take water from the Nile River and I want you to pour it out in front of the elders. And when it touches the ground, it's going to become death. It's going to become blood. You see, the Egyptians, they believed that the Nile River was God. They believed that it's where all life came from. In fact, there were two gods happy which was one that when the Nile would flood over and leave all of its silt, that when it would decrease, they would then plant and they would give worship to the God Happy because he left the silt. There was another God, Num, who they would worship because he was the God of water and he gave them the Nile River. They were fooled to worship a river, believe it or not, instead of the God who created it. God wanted Moses to go to Egypt and listen carefully. Tell them the truth. The thing that think the thing that you think is bringing you life is actually leading to death. And in our world so many people they think to find life in another relationship. They think to find life in more materials and more money. They think to find life in social media and how many likes that they can get. They think that they will find life in the world and it only leads to death. And he said to Moses, go to Egypt and tell them the truth that there is only one God who has the power to give eternal life. Moses, turn that water to blood and tell them the truth. You would think Moses would get it by now. But he's as hard-headed as some of us. So look at verse 10. So Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech, or I've got a a tongue that kind of stutters a little bit, and I'm slow of tongue. He says, I don't know what to say. I need training. I don't even speak good. I mean, you want a James Earl Jones voice, don't you? Don't you want someone to go, Jesus died for your sin? I mean, that's what you want, God. Let me tell you what you need, God. Moses, take a look what he says. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? I made you like this, Moses. Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. Take a look at Moses. But he says, Oh, my Lord. He gets right to the point. Send somebody else. Please send by the hand of whoever else you may say. I don't care who else you send. Send someone but me. Send the pastor. He knows what to say. I mean, Pastor Dwight, let him go to the hospital. Pastor Dennis, isn't he like a missions guy? I'll call him. I mean, Pastor Pat, isn't he the guy that always stands up here? He knows the gospel. Come on, I'll let him tell you the gospel. Send the pastor, just don't send me. Verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Oops. Moses goes, okay, I know I'm anointed. I know I'm called to go deliver, and I don't want to do it, and God got angry. It angers the Lord when we make excuses for not doing what we're called to do. That is a woe. but I want you to see what God did in his anger. It's so important. He said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he's also coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he's going to be happy in his heart. He'll be glad. Now you shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I'll teach you what you shall do, so you shall be your spokesman to the people, and He himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be like to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. I love this. He was so mad. He did something about it. He gave Moses grace. I'll send your brother with you. He provided support because he knew Moses needed grace. And in his anger, grace was the result. This is so important for us to see how God deals with his anger. So I'll close with this. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Let me say this is the first part of a two-part sermon. We'll dig deeper into this next week. For the wrath of God, Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He's angry. He's angry. God is angry at sin. So at verse 24, look at Romans one twenty-four. God gave them up to uncleanness. Verse 26. God gave them up to vile passions. Look at verse 28. God gave them over to a debased mind. And to this wicked Roman culture, who God gave them up to all these vile sins, to this wicked Roman culture, he sends an itty-bitty little Jewish man by the name of Paul. Take a look at chapter 1, how God dealt with his anger. Verse 15. Paul says, So, as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Paul did not need three signs. He had one. God sent his son and delivered the apostle Paul. And Paul believed Jesus has the power to save. Paul believed that Jesus had the power to deliver. Paul believed that Jesus alone had the power to give eternal life. And because Paul believed the gospel is the power of God to deliver, to save, and to set us free, he marched right into the Roman Empire to a wicked, sinful... I mean, more wicked than you could ever imagine. And he said, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you. I'm ready. He wasn't like Moses. He didn't question God. As soon as God said, I got to work for you in Acts chapter 9, he went straight to work. So which one are we? Moses? God, I really can't speak well. That's the pastor's job why don't you send someone else? Or are we, Paul? I am ready to do what God anointed me to do. Amen? Amen. Who's ready? Who's ready? Who's ready? I didn't see this side. Who's ready? After last week's sermon, I was so encouraged as a pastor Emails and text messages. I shared the gospel for the first time. God bless you guys. God bless you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for the anointing of your spirit over Calvary Chapel, South Bay. We we see a descriptive event of Moses. Moses. And I pray that we will not see a prescriptive event where we feel that we need to question you when you've anointed us to preach the gospel. Savior, one of the most powerful things we can do is possibly say like the Father, I believe, help my unbelief. One of the most powerful things we could do is maybe even now ask for the power of your spirit because we are afraid. And we just need you to flow through us. So spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. In the name of the Father and the Son and your precious Holy Spirit, the whole church said,